With a bad foot pumped up Because statistics are the best The bad foot pumped up Because you don't need footwear to bet Welcome back to the Barefoot Punch. I'm your host as always, the mug, your co-host, the logical one. The Pope is with us as well. And of course, we take inspiration from the Barefoot Investor. But instead of giving you investment advice, we're here to give you a bit of betting advice on the NRL and AFL 2021 season. And the AFL season is over, logical, and Melbourne are premiers. Yes, that's certainly right. And I did, I did look back and try to find a few sound bites earlier today around when I tipped up Melbourne for the premiership and spoke about it. Now, this is not about blowing my own trumpet, but I was hoping to get some funny response for you telling me they couldn't win it or something like that. But you, you didn't buy it at the time. You know, that was a bit, was a bit of a shame. You were, you were almost supportive. So um, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a good result um, and um, a great grand final. And it's funny that we're saying that 74 point loss and we're saying that it was a really good grand. Well, most people I know say it was a really good grand final. The closest 74-point uh, game in the history of AFL, it felt like, didn't it? Um, amazing to think, 19 points halfway through the third quarter, and then that happened. It was, uh, I'm sure a lot of Melbourne supporters around the country were real squeaky bum at about halfway through that third quarter thinking, oh, no, it's not not again, not again. And uh, they steeled themselves and... Um, Oh, what a what a whitewash of goals! That was unbelievable. You would have you would have just loved it if you're a Melbourne supporter, and of course it was uh, tough to watch if you're a doggy supporter, I suppose. Yeah, I, I think what I noticed from that patch was the deficiency in the ruck for me was what caused it. They could not even get at their side of the centre clearance, and a couple of times um, Martin even overran the ball and sort of gave them a three on one streaming forward, and then it gave them the ability for, for Oliver and Petrarca to be ultra offensive and they were just, you know, the dogs couldn't, couldn't stop it. And maybe they could have been a little bit more defensive knowing that their Ruckman didn't have the, the, the dominance, but you know, to me, that, that was the big turning pivotal point. They just couldn't win a, win a, win a clearance or a, a tap out. And uh, I think three goals in the last, what, 45 seconds, that hurts. And, um, you could see the look in the in the Bont's eyes at three quarter time. He's looking at his other midfielders, and they just look absolutely beaten. Uh, the boys, they they just had that look of, oh no, that's the game. And uh, and I think from that point, Melbourne were never going to let them back in, and they didn't. So credit to the D's, well done. Yeah, yeah, and the really good turnaround. They've done the they've done that Richmond type uh, win in 2017, and the Dogs of 2016. They've come from. Not a great position the year before and broken a long drought when, you know, it wasn't, wasn't on a lot of people's radar. And it's great to see in football. I, I really enjoy those premierships. It, you know, that's good for supporters and good for the AFL. And, you know, hopefully now it's St Kilda or someone else's turn like that. Absolutely. Well, uh, we've got one more premiership to come, Logical, and that's over in the NRL. We better check in and say a big welcome to the program, to the Pope. Thanks, Mug. We had a very high-quality prelim on Saturday, but can we talk about the three days since then? We've had an incident outside of Gold Coast nightclub. We've had an obligatory video leak of shenanigans going on in a hotel room. We've had Osha Olway, and now we've potentially got COVID wreaking havoc and grand final being moved from Brisbane to Townsville. It's been quite the three days off the field in the NRL for something new, Mug. <laughs> 
just just another week in the NRL. That's that's all it is. Let's just go over a couple of those that you just mentioned, Pope. The the white substance doesn't even raise an eyebrow. So that's 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 standard for NRL. So it's not even a headline. Um, the the moving of the grand final is that right? They might be moving it to Townsville, or is that just one of the options? No, they say it's 50-50. Mug is the number that the rising case numbers of four in Queensland we're up to. Might be enough to move from Brisbane to Townsville. So next couple of days, if that rises, it, it looks like a Brisbane lockdown and up north we go. Uh, PVL will be doing his best right now, only behind closed doors. I never imagine how many people he's trying to corrupt and, uh, and um, do his thing and influence like he does best. Um, and then and then moving on to the last point, Pope, uh, the Daily M, uh, pure class production that it is. Uh, PVL had a bit of a slip up. Do you want to just go into that one a little bit further for the listeners? Well, the it's probably, for those in lockdown around the various states, it's probably just worth going to KO and having a look at some of the pronunciations in general. But the the one that's caught most attention is is PVL with his, the wordsmith that he is, is Manly player Josh Alloway has been pronounced as Osher Ole somehow. <laughs> he's, he's turned Josh into Osher, which defies belief. So he's, he's, Josh really probably hasn't hit the radar of, of NRL HQ of quality NRL player that he can't pronounce out that one syllable first name of Josh. So uh, Osher Ole is now trending quite heavily on Twitter in the last 24 hours. Logical one. Is it spelled in a funny way or is it? It's just no, no it's your traditional spelling of Josh. Traditional spelling. It's, he's so good with his words normally, PVL. I just it's a, what a surprise. Yeah, well, it was it was stunning news that there was a there was a gaff coming out of Delhi. I'm not considering how how clean that production was can compared to compared to the one we saw seven days earlier over in Perth for the Brownlow. Yeah, um, but on the Daily M, uh, Tommy Turbo, our favourite of the show, got the sweets, missed seven games, I think, for the season. Would that be close to the most games missed for a Daily M winner before? Yeah, I haven't seen it officially stay as much, but 15 games for the year and he's walked away as comfortable Daily M when he's out a year for the ages probably. It was one of the greater years that you'll see the try-scoring stats alone. But I think the, the biggest barometer is probably that premiership price that we've touched on a few times in Manly. Like they, were, they were 90 to 100 to 1 after... Four rounds at zero and four, and they've made a preliminary final and and got into five dollars, five dollars fifty to win the comp. So I think that goes to show the kind of year they did have. To I've, I've never quite seen a year like it from an individual player in in rugby league, anyway. Yeah, yeah. And um, and the prelims, um, Storm. It's a you know one of the biggest upsets for quite a while in preliminary final history. I would think in in rugby league. You and uh, the mod look saw that coming. Um, just looked like they couldn't get going. Yeah, they were devoid of ideas for most of the day. Logical one, and it's been touched on in the aftermath. But it was probably the first time all year that they've seen the effects of not having Cameron Smith. That it probably touched on in, in that moment that they haven't had to worry about it. Points of being prolific, but when they needed a plan B on Saturday afternoon, they didn't have one, and and that's when. Cameron won so many games for Melbourne over the years that when things weren't going their way, he was able to steer the ship in the right direction and they couldn't do that Saturday afternoon and bundled out in preliminary final, which is which is stunning, really, in terms of upsets of 
how good a team's been through regular season, not make a grand final. It was it's quite amazing. Yeah, and and, and Pope, I, I I was just going to say, uh, I haven't seen Melbourne drop the footy that much all year. They they just seem to um, make a lot of mistakes. Yep, they were, they were off their game all day. Dropped dropped a lot of footy, made panic decisions, just weren't quite right, but. In previous years, they have been like that mug. They have had off days and they've had the super, the high-caliber superstars of Cronk, Smith to get them home and they weren't able to do that the other day. Probably the inexperience combination that we hadn't thought for most of the year, that, that it hadn't mattered that they'd, they'd got younger players in that spine. But the other day, it came to fruition and the guys you'd hope would send out your Munster, Harry Grant to some extent, weren't able to do it. So... Yeah, it's, it was quite shocking Saturday afternoon to see that performance and, and see Storm not making it through to the final Sunday. Yeah, I found and of course, those big injuries, big injuries probably didn't help them up front either with, um, is it Welsh and uh, and Hectic Cheese? Yeah, it's, Welsh gets undersold in probably the duo there. Like Smith, Brandon Smith is was a major loss, but Welsh puts a lot of kick pressure on opposing players. He also... Went out early in Origin game this year in, in Queensland. Weren't the same team without him too. Like he's one of those players that are integral to the engine room of a team and, and does a lot of one percenters, so to speak, for a side. So he, he was quite a significant loss in that team as well as Brandon. So at uh, half time, Pope, um, to me it looked like from early on the storm just weren't on. But did you feel like they got to get were going to come back into that game or? Did you have a feeling that they just they weren't they hadn't shown up for the day they had a couple of injuries and it was going to be a bridge too far? I thought they were no. I, th- I probably thought there was some chance that they had a really bad first half, but they're only down by six logical ones. So that that can work in your favour sometimes. They should have been down by more at half time. So you can recalibrate, come out for the second half and start again, so to speak. So the first five or ten minutes was going to tell. A really significant story in that match, I thought, and Penrith scored a try in that first four-minute period. And from that point, I just you couldn't see it happening. So at halftime, I thought there was some chance because the scoreboard didn't reflect actually what occurred in the first half. But once Toe went over for ten nil, it was very hard to see them coming back. The how good Penrith's defence are as the main reason that they they were the pink wall, so to speak, was. I couldn't see them scoring two tries, and they got close in the end. They, they scored late, but they were just off their game enough all day that it was a right result in the end, probably. Penrith were the better team. And in the other pre- prelim, Pope, um, what did you see in that game that you, you, you could take out of it? Yes, were the better team, logical one, but they were lucky as well. So we'll probably dive into this as we review, preview the grand final, I should say, but 22 nil at halftime wasn't a fair reflection in that game. Like on, on another day, that could be 12 all. Manly had two tries disallowed early. So bounce the ball and weight of possession. Manly didn't help themselves. They shot themselves in the foot. But the the end scoreline doesn't quite reflect how that match panned out, especially in the first half. So I'll, I'll, Souths are getting a lot of uh, kudos and a lot of pats on the back in the last couple of days. That, I'd probably be a little bit wary as to how well they're actually going. That that match could have panned out a little bit differently if on a different day, like they, they Manny had a try ruled out for obstruction and Turbo drops the ball over the line scoring a try, which you you go a long a long time without without until you see that again for Turbo. So 
Yeah. It wouldn't have taken much for that to be a lot closer earlier in the game, but South were good in their own right. They scored 36 points. Their attack was was flowing and operating on, on all cylinders. So deserved winners, but the scoreline didn't quite reflect how tight that was early. As a casual observer of NRL, I don't watch a lot of games, but when I do, the rule that just I, I really don't like is that obstruction rule. It's almost got to a point where guys create the obstruction from the other team to, and, they, and they always get the, the penalty. Like there's so many instances where it doesn't even influence the, the, the people that were going to be able to tackle them. Um, seems like a really frustrating rule. It is. And I think when you watch so much sport, you develop an acceptance for these things that listening to you now, you, you probably have more because of nature. We've got used to it as if you watch league regularly, but without taking too deep a dive, like that runner when he's going through that hole, I don't know where he's supposed to go. Like he's, yeah. he's trying to get through a hole that doesn't exist. There's not much more he can do. And we see that time and time again now that, the black and white rule doesn't take into game the nuances of what's actually occurring. And it is frustrating. But I think when you watch enough, you probably have the same in AFL logic on. When you watch enough, you, you just develop some sort of acceptance. Otherwise, you'll drive yourself mad a bit. And that's where that's where we're at a bit with some of these rules in rugby league. Yeah, well said, Pope. All right, boys. Well, there's some uh, some, some good chat and some good review over uh, last week. But, uh, but Pope... Can we talk some grand final? Souths versus Penrith Panthers. Talk to us about it. What's the prices and what do we see? Yeah, the lawn is minus three and a half in this one. So your dollar ninety each of two is minus three and a half mug and betting's around Penrith at all sixty-eight and Souths two twenty-five. So that's your that's your key. Call markets and the overrunner total points lines around 38, 37 and a half. So there you there your key. Numbers that you probably need to know from a team perspective there. In terms of the minus three and a half, we obviously talked to Lions a fair bit on this show. So three weeks ago in the first round of finals, they played each other and this went off minus 10 and a half. So it's a really big re-rate mug from minus 10 and a half to minus three and a half in the space of three weeks. That's probably one point worth considering. So it's a seven points is a long way for two teams to be re-rated in a short space of time. So that's one worth keeping in mind as we as we discuss this. And there are reasons for that, that Penrith haven't quite looked that impressive, especially in attack over the last two or three weeks. They've scored four tries in the three rounds of the finals and Souths are the informed team of the competition. So it deserves to move South's way. They, they deserve to be, I guess, re-rated over their performance across the final series. But I think this might have gone a little bit too far, to be honest. It, it is a big move in a short space of time. And, like a lot of things in life, mug, the truth often lies in the middle that minus 10 and a half might have been a bit big three weeks ago, but minus three and a half might be a bit skinny now. Yeah, Pope, uh, I really, really agree with what you're saying there. I, I don't have many NRL views, but to me, the Penriths have been rated, I would have thought, far better than South nearly all year. They've lost that first week of the finals, but then they have gone on and beaten the storm. So um, mm. what you're saying makes complete sense. We've got the modeler's view, the last one for the season, and I'd like to say a massive thank you for the modeler. He's given us his prices every week since about round six or so, and he's it's been a really good addition to the show. Uh, his his small view is a slight lean to South, so he's not quite leaning up with uh, lining up with what you're thinking here, Pope. But for what it's worth, I think I have to agree with you, and uh, that sounds sound makes good solid sense what you're saying. 
Yeah, I, I think the ultimate narrative in this one, logical one, is is Penrith battle weary or they battle hard, and is probably what it comes down to. The last two weeks have played two of the more brutal games of the season in their wins over Parramatta, Parramatta and Storm. So, is it a bridge too far to get up physically again? And, and they are carrying some injuries into this one, and Souths are the informed team and and probably will be the fresher team coming to the grand final. And that's the narrative that this week's taken on a little bit that Penrith having to play four weeks back-to-back to get to grand final day and see us having the week off between their first week of finals and prelim and then a relatively soft prelim that they're viewed as a fresher. And that's the angle that a lot of pundits are taking this week and see us are getting a lot of love in betting markets and, and also media commentary. So it's an interesting one. I think that's the ultimate question. What was the answer? Like, is it, where's Penrith at? Are they physically spent or have they, have they been geared up for this game by the way? last two weeks especially in the physical the physical battle we've had to go through to get to this point. Is that where that market opened, Pope, at the three and a half? It's a bit bigger than it was a bit bigger than that Morgan. Weight of money's tipped at South Wales. So it opened about minus four and a half, minus five and a half at some outlet. So it's moved a couple of points towards South. And has it got any more in it, you think, or you reckon that's about its uh ceiling, that three and a half? I, I think it probably creeps down towards minus two and a half. Minus two. So in head-to-head parlance that I can see South going off around the 210 mark or at least getting to 210 at some point in coming days and where that addresses. I do think it goes more towards South at some point this week. Yep. Very interesting. Uh, anything else for us, Pope, in terms of – I'm assuming your, your betting lean, that is, to the Panthers. Um, is there anything else that you're seeing in the game? I know you spoke about Churchill – uh, a couple of weeks ago, but now um, the hectic cheese is gone. Um, what do you like these days? Yeah, let's let's dive into Churchill a bit here, Mug. The I'll, I'll start with the theory: don't be seduced by how many players can actually win this award. So that, that's probably a starting point that I'll have here. I think there's probably only six to eight players that, in actuality, can win this award, and as a result, there's a lot of players in the mid teens mid-20s in prices that I don't think in reality can win it. So we'll go through a few of the key ones and then we'll touch on the bets that I probably like at the at the more attractive prices. And similar logical one yourself that I've gone through the percentage of each players to come up with this. So it's it's a fairly scientific approach and we'll we'll talk through that theory a little bit. But the the main one is obviously Cleary that he's the shortest in the in the market is four dollars or so short at some outlets. So for Cleary, on that price, you're saying he's around 42% chance of if Penrith win the game that he wins the Clive, which is is probably about right. Like I, I make him about 40%, and I know some other guys who who I rate and, and logical knows have him a bit higher. So it, it's around the right price. So what I will say with this is in doing the research, there was a stutter around Cleary earlier in the year. He was touching the ball 70 to 75 times per match mug, and, and that – I had a look, I rewatched the prelim the other day, and that was 51 in the preliminary final. So he's his actual. Still looks hurt. He does. Yeah, you yeah, he does. So... Reckon, yeah, you reckon he's still hurt? Yeah, he he. I, I saw him get crunched there one time, and he come up very sore. Yeah, he he does look hurt, and his his impact on their attack at least is diminished greatly. So since that Clive Churchill market's been up for a couple of months, it, it's sort of been sitting around 50 percent mark for Cleary and. It's moved towards forty, but I, I couldn't back him at four dollars with that in mind. That I think he's I think he's a little bit short now. He's 
not having the impact on their attack. And if this game goes down the line of Penrith's game in the last few weeks, there's been two tries for one or two tries all, I'd steer away from him. And, and probably the way where Penrith are at, it's more likely to be one of those sort of games than it would be a 28-14 or something like that. So I think he's probably a little bit short at the $4 for me to have a bet bet on him in this one mug. If he was in any skerrick of form, Pope, I'd be pressuring you on that. I think he, I think I thought he looked quite big, but his form is really the the the, the suspect element here because from what, best on grounds during the year, he probably got what nearly fifty percent of their best on grounds during the year, would he? Yeah, that's right. And and as I say, like that's it's a fair challenge that theological one. He's he's been priced at fifty percent most of the year, or since Clive Churchill's been up in the second half of the year, and now say. He's forty percent, and he's not a bet. Like it, it is a, it is a quite a re-rate and recalibration of your thought process. But he, he's probably about the mark. But how short he is, I just think there's more value elsewhere in this market. Well, what, when he's a false favourite, what's that mean? Value on the big prices, Pope. That's right, logical one. And and let's go, let's go through that a little bit from the Penrith side. So I obviously like Penrith in this one, Mug, and I do say this that there are only a few players that can win it, and and the two that I think. Can for Penrith, Isaiah Yo, who's around that $12, $13, dollars mark. I, I touched on him a few weeks ago. So to make up for Cleary's, I guess, back seat that he's taking their attack, Isaiah's touching the ball more. He, he's he got his hands on the footy a lot, not just as a hit-up merchant, but also as a first receiver to get the ball out to the back line. And he also makes about 40 to 45 tackles a game. So he's going to be prominent. If it is like scoring, he can win it that way. If parents score points, he can win it that way as well. So I think he's I think he's a bet at around the thirteen dollar mark. And the other one I like is Kurt Capewell, who's around twenty five to one, thirty three to one. So he's less than known player. He's, he's big price, but the one thing he did the other day, he shut down the Melbourne West side attack. That he's on the right edge defence, and that had Olam, Pappenhausen, Munster, Adekar. They didn't do much, and. and Catewell was heavily responsible for that. And he's also going to be heavily responsible this Sunday that the, the side south, Skodu, is the left, which is Walker Johnston, who's prolific try scorer. That's on that side as well. So if that's impotent, so to speak, Mug, if south can't, can't facilitate much down that side, Catewell's going to be heavily involved. So I do like him on the parent side of things around that 25 to 1, 33 to 1. What's the um, breakdown, uh, Pope, of the, the bigger boys versus the, the ball handlers? The bigger guys more or less can't win it. Mug, I think, please correct me if I've uh, cut you off there, but they don't play enough game time for the main part. So the bigger the bigger guys, the front rollers through the middle of the ground, like they're only playing 40, 45 minutes a game. Like they're, they're not on the field enough to really be that impactful when it comes to these awards. So I'd basically put a line through them for the most part. Is um, my thought process anyway, I hope that's answered the question. Yeah, and um, centers, fullbacks, I mean, can these can these guys what what what's the normal breakdown of that? Is for me from the outside looking in, it almost sort of seems like it's a bit of a quarterback's award. I don't I don't know if that's um, if that's fair, but um, usually the feeders, you know, the halfbacks they're the, they're the guys that take it out, or can you see uh, I guess Yo's one of those sort of center style players, isn't he? Yeah, he, he's a lock, so he's in the middle of the ground. So the, the players over to your edges, your centres and wingers, you're right, for the most part, they can't win it, to be honest. Like there's in in these major games, origins and grand finals, there's been there's been wingers that have scored hat tricks that's can't they can't win the awards. So 
they they have to do a lot, lot right. Like Alex Johnson, who's a South Sydney winger, he's he scored thirty tries for the year nearly, and he he can't win it basically. Like the for one, the way he scores his tries, he's just putting the ball over the line from the guys inside him. So he's not actually doing a lot to impact the match. He's just on the end of good work here. That, that happens inside him from from Walkers and Latrell when he's playing. So for the most part, it's your halfback, 5'8", hooker and lock to a lesser extent that he plays there are going to win the award. Yeah, yep. you look at the literally history of the award there, Pope, and, you know, it's fullback, 5'8", five, 5'8", eight, five, eight, fullback, second row, halfback, lock, halfback, halfback, lock, fullback, fullback. You know, there's there's not been, I can't find a winger there that's won it um, pretty much on the whole list. And... Uh, you got to be pretty exceptional in some of those some of those positions, don't you? Um, what about from the other side of the uh, the the match in the Clive Churchill? Anyone you like from that side? Yeah, I can't go past Cody Walker here. Logic one is the shortest price player for South and second favourite in the market. He he's around seven dollars, seven dollars fifty at some bookmakers, and and that makes him about a thirty percent chance of wins the award, and and that's that's wrong to be honest. Like I. I've got him in the early 40s, and I know some other astute judges who are up near 50%. So as you'd know from Norm Smith pricing, logical one, that, that is a big discrepancy. So this this price is just wrong, Cody. If, if South win, he's has to basically be the reason, and probably further than that, for South to win, I think they have to score 18 to 20 points in the game, and that means three tries or so, and Cody's going to be heavily involved in that. This is, this is a great bet. At around that seven dollar mark, I, I really, really like this. Um, bit boring to go with the the favourite for South, but when when there's value to be had, then you just gotta gotta take it. So this is a really attractive price. Yeah, no, I know you say it's a bit boring, and we did the same last week. Bit in the uh, AFL tipped up the favourites, but I know historically from NRL that people I respect on betting in NRL are generally been tipping up these favourites and these medals. Just seems to always come from from those gun players in the big matches, you know, as you said, it's very hard for them to win a match. And and to be fair, I haven't seen someone like that's their big playmaker for a team that big for a while. So it, it makes sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm struggling to get a read on this one, logical. Like you, you've probably watched a bit of NRL the last few weeks. So like Cody scored two last week. He's heavily involved in everything they do. Like he's, he's their main guy. So I think this is a great bet. And I, I can't see how this doesn't shorten as the week goes on. So I'd be, I'd be back in this seven dollars, seven dollars fifty at certain outlets. TAB, if you're looking at a bet, I'll be doing that in the next couple of days before that price moves. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, Pope, do you see anything else in uh, any of the other markets on the grand final first try score at any time? Anything that's standing out there? Yeah, the way the way this final try series, sorry, this final series has panned out, that these games have been fairly low scoring, and, and generally when defences are tight. There, how you score your tries is you need to bang the front door down and then you need to go around them. So outside backs is the angle. They are the shortest in the market, but I still think there's value to be had here on first try scorer around your Toto and, and Johnson around the $8, $7 market. They are favourite prices, but this is how they're going to attack. They're, they're going to try and create the opening and go around them and score tries on the edges. So that's that's the line of thinking will be going down. and. With any time, there will be a bit of I think there's a bit of value. I've touched on Kurt Catewell for Clive, and he is a bit of a try-scoring back rower, and 
he doesn't quite get probably the recognition he deserves as such. So I think he's, as one back row, he's an attractive anytime price there. I think he's probably around the four to one, five to one mark. And, and I think that's a bet. But I think angles around wingers, probably even to score two or more, is probably the more street way of going. That these, this has been a real traditional final series in terms of how Charles is getting scored. And wingers are probably over indexing even more than the prices indicate. So, that's probably the line of thinking. We'll, we'll certainly be thinking for first try scorer um, and maybe even looking for a bit of more value around the two or more on, on certain players, Johnson and Tolo, in mind, their logical one. Sounds good. Mug, uh, any other more thoughts yourself on the NRL? Um, you seem to have been firing out a bit of, you know, multi-sport tweets in recent weeks. Any nuggets for the listeners? Ah, <laughs> uh, nah. No, everything that Popa said uh, makes sense around around Penrith. I was I haven't actually checked the markets, and I was surprised to hear that they were um, that they were that close together. I thought they would have been a stronger favourite, Penrith, on the back of knocking off the Storm. But um, no, it sounds like uh, the, the the Pope, uh, everything that he's put up there uh, sounds sounds very very good. Um, what about you, Logical? What's uh, your take on that game? You you like that? I really like the Cody Walker and the um, and the uh, Penrith minus angle. Uh, different sides so it's a little bit going against each other but I like both those angles he spoke of and uh, I'll be having a bit on both of those well, the, the, probably the less mathematical thought process too Mug is you, you learn more in, you, you learn more out of a loss than a win too I think so Penrith lost to South three weeks ago and I think they'll take a bit out of that in terms of how to play and, and also I don't quite believe in the old adage it takes you need to lose one to win one but like that they how they started the grand final last year. I think you'll see a very different team that starts again this year. That they've got a grand final loss to touch on twelve months ago and a South loss to touch on three weeks ago. So I think they can take a lot of lessons on how to play this game. And I I really like this bet, as I said. I think I think the markets are reacted to the battle weary angle of Penrith, but they do have eight days break leading into this. So I think they are the best team in this game. They touched on this a bit last week. They're conceding bugger all points throughout the final series and throughout the year. So that defensive frugalness is, will, will stand up here and I think that they'll score enough points to win this game. Excellent. Uh, excellent, mate. I mean, a logical, logical spoke about it last week with the Richmond versus Geelong last year. Richmond had to go around the hard way and then came up at a price that wasn't really um, reflective of what it should have been. Yeah, I think I think what we, what we have learned throughout this Serious market. I've heard logical one touch on in recent weeks too. Is that there's a heavy recency bias in these games at times, isn't there? So, logical one talked last week around the inefficient pricing of grand final markets, which is somewhat counterintuitive when you when you get to this stage of the year. But there is angles to be had in final series and grand finals because there is an overreaction to to recent events as opposed to the greater sample size over the course of a year. Thank you very much, Pope. Once again. Great to have you here. It's been a great addition to this show, a really good de- debut season. And like I spoke of earlier, uh, the modeler, thanks a lot to him as well. We really enjoyed getting his uh, views on games and looking to add him to the show next year, hopefully. Um, and the mug, thanks a lot again. It's been a pleasure uh, doing another season with you. Um, and to the listeners, thank you very much. Um, Pope. Any finishing words and then you can sign us off. 
Yeah, thanks for the year. Fasar's logical one been been highly enjoyable and really enjoyed talking NRL across the 2021 season. I won't elaborate too much, but on Sunday night, gamble responsibly, but more importantly, gamble on Penrith to win.